Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Interrobing Podcast, produced by Interrobing Books in Dallas, Texas. On this week's episode, we have an interview with Hank Green, author of the new sci-fi novel, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing. I think that fame itself has not changed. Fame is the same thing. It is people's imaginings of people they don't know. What has changed is the number of people who experience some level of fame and from without their community. You'll also hear about the exciting events we'll have in the store in the coming weeks. Remember, you can support the store 24-7 by shopping on our website, interrobangbooks.com. There, you'll also find new releases, articles, and book recommendations. Hank Green is an internet renaissance man who first garnered fame in 2007 through his YouTube channel Vlogbrothers, partnering with his brother, the novelist John Green. Hank has since played an integral role in the creation of many notable projects, including VidCon, an annual convention for internet personalities and content creators, and the educational YouTube series Crash Course and SciShow. His debut novel, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing, will be released on September 25th. Here's my conversation with Hank Green, recorded earlier this summer. Hank Green, welcome to Interrobang Podcast. It's a pleasure to be on the Interrobang Podcast. All right, to start us off, can you give us the premise of an absolutely remarkable thing? There is a young woman who has a job that she hates. She's recently graduated from art school and doing design at a startup, walking home from work early in the morning and runs across... Uh, something very bizarre, this bizarre robot statue that uh, she makes a video with, with her friend Andy. And then that video goes viral and it becomes part of a very big weird thing that's happening to the earth. And she becomes a part of that big weird thing that's happening to the earth and thus uh, is responsible for having opinions about things and being in the public eye and also very interested in in uh in preserving her notoriety and uh and her fame and uh, and that uh you know ultimately as as it is wanted to do destroys her is that okay to say <laughs> <laughs> well i mean that's you know no spoilers or anything but yes yeah, she's destroyed by this yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, okay, so yeah. so she and her friend Andy, they, they record this video, they post it on YouTube, and this is a really classic example of overnight success. So what does it yeah. mean for her that she goes from one day being uh, just a normal person, one day being that person, to the next day being not only a viral internet star, but also a stand-in spokeswoman for this insane happening? For her, she she does not know, and it is it, it has to be a process, it has to be something that happens like one day at a time and that's very different from the public perception so for the person that that happens to it's like well on the day after it happens you still feel like your life is completely normal but the whole world's reaction to you has changed in many ways that reaction is what changes you and so you have to interact with the reaction in order to really understand how you are different and how you are different in the world and also how to how to operate in that world, whether that's like how to do it without hurting yourself or others, 
but also how to do it in a way that like helps you capture that and grow it and turn it into revenue and all the things that you kind of want to do once you uh, once you have some notoriety. It's a weird thing where I've watched a lot of people go through that process and the, the process of coming to terms with how the world is now different for you and the world now sees you differently is a it takes it can take a very long time and it can be a very bad fraught time that's really the core of the book is this is the question of fame and how fame uh, and, and internet celebrity and global fame affects a person so but before we get mm -hmm. to that uh, the other really core part of this book is also one of the strange stranger elements of this book is is Carl or the Carls mm -hmm. in general mm -hmm. so when you say that she comes across this thing one night with Andy what what is a Carl and uh, how many are there what is the the background of Carl <laughs> well there are 64 Carls they showed up in all of the largest cities on earth you know how they chose precisely what a large city was is a little mysterious but that seems to be what they've done uh, they are immovable. They are uh, they do themselves do not move. They're entirely passive, but they do look a little bit threatening and scary. They're ten feet tall. They're they look like you know mecha robots basically. And uh, understanding of what they are, it, like it's never truly deeply understood. It, it is is a mystery, and that allows them to be something that people project on very easily. Yeah, so in that sense, uh, and I think li listeners and, and readers of this book could very easily make this connection. It's a lot like the movie Arrival, because yeah. there are these these ma these monolithic, possibly alien uh, structures, mm -hmm. and then the the world kind of falls apart just because of these monolithic, possibly dangerous things. Yeah, and I, I, like there's something about Arrival, and and in general, it's like a lot of first contact stories that rubs me the wrong way, where it's just like the sort of mere existence of this inhuman entity suddenly people are rioting in the streets and it's almost as if the process of how that happens is never discussed and it's just like well everything's dissolved now all of our structures that we used to, to understand the world no longer exist and so loot right, i guess right. and i've never felt like that's how it would go i kind of feel like humans are like wow this is a really big deal and then two weeks later you're like yeah but like I still need to call the plumber because my toilet isn't working. And so the the sort of story of how you, you get to a place where this does cause some societal unrest, to me, is a story of any other, you know, political conversation. And, uh, and it just fits into the same political conversations we've been having for the last 50 years almost. Yeah. And any first contact story that takes place, you know, after the mid 90s now has to take into account the internet. And obviously, this book is if you were to break it down into like one sentence, you really could just say the internet, period, because it's, it's just, <laughs> it's just kind of exploring the like the mechanism of virility on the internet. So how uh, in your writing process, how did you go about trying to depict the internet in this book uh, and try to like manage all of the folds and all of the dozens of complexities, especially through the perspective of April. So April comes into all of this being being a noob, like she doesn't like the idea of the social internet and not really from a sort of critical standpoint, more from a hipster standpoint where she's not into it because like everybody else is. So, so she really comes into it fairly fresh, uh, as fresh as you can be as a young woman in America, which is not terribly. But at the same time, like my experience of the internet is really very, quite nuanced. I feel that for the last 10 or 15 years, I feel more tied to online communities in a lot of ways, I feel more tied to the internet as as like my town than I do to my physical town, though I do love Missoula, Montana very much. It's great. The community of the internet continues to be a place that I care about a lot and feel connected to and feel like a resident of. 
And I think we don't think about it that way enough that we we do live in this place and we need to take care of it like any other place where we live. And, and so I think a lot about that and that, you know, it's in the same way that like a great writer is able to capture the spirit of a place that they live. I hope that I understand the nuance and the, the beauty and the terror of this place where I live well enough to make it a setting in this book. Part of the like the physical presence of the internet on the page is, is how you depict communication. So you have you have tweets, you have texts, you have emails. You, mm-hmm. you have the whole spectrum of textual communication portrayed in this book. What exactly did you want to say about mm-hmm. communication and miscommunication, especially when when April is as her platform explodes over the course of the the story and she goes on TV? What what is this book saying about communication and its uh, its successes and failures in in uh, the social internet age? Really, what it, it, a lot of what it says is that if you're trying to build an audience, you're not trying to provide nuance. You're not trying to, or, or even be accurate. Because the book is written by April in the future, April is writing a book about herself and what happened to her, it's nice to be able to give her perspective on the mistakes that she's made and, and have her recognize and admit when she is 100% straying away from nuance intentionally in order to grow her audience and grabbing out the most inflammatory bits of what her opponents are saying and bringing those to light instead of maybe the the better arguments that are being thrown at her. She takes the craziest, the worst, the most upsetting people who are attacking her and, and puts those people in the spotlight. And then, of course, the exact same thing is being done to her and, and like the people who share her perspective and how like how we're, we're doing that. Like we're all doing that. This is a thing that if you're public on the Internet and you're you're engaging in the political discussion right now, like even if you don't know you're doing it, like you're going to look back in a year and know that you were. You're going to look at your old tweets and think, yeah, this like it wasn't just them. It was also us. Yeah. Yeah. To get back into the the character of April, you've introduced her as she's an artist, she's a designer, so she has she has like practical work experience. She's not super happy or successful at the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, tell us more about April, especially early in the book, and can you give us a few examples of how her sudden fame and her sunrise to fame, how those kind of like wash up against her personality and change her? And in some ways, like she, it, it doesn't change her. It changes her behavior. There's a pretty common thing that I've seen among people who are ambitious is a fear of, of their ambition being noticed because then people are like, oh, I see you're trying very hard, but you have not become successful. And they don't want that they don't want to be seen as trying hard until they are successful. It's fine to have worked very hard, but in some ways it is not a pretty story to be working very hard and to not have achieved it yet. And so there's there's a piece of April that is very like trying to be a, you know, a young person in New York City making it work, you know, affording an apartment and having a job that is at least doing the thing that you studied, not having to move back in with your parents, but still not admitting to the ambition. And I think that people who are very close to April know, like have seen the ambition, but she does not like to to show it. And then as soon as she is given this thing that is the path, she will do not everything that it takes, but most everything that it takes. And it means that, you know, she will do things to be a bigger part of the story that she knows are going to be ultimately bad for herself and her relationships. 
this is a pretty great example of, of an author writing what he or she knows. You are uh, probably the closest thing to uh, an expert on viral internet fame as anyone. How did your experience as a as first a YouTube celebrity and then kind of a more general media uh, figure on the internet, how does your experience color the book? How, how did you use your own experiences to populate the characters and situations of this book? And mm-hmm. uh, and did you like did you leave anything out because it was like too real or <laughs> too personal? Tell us a little bit about your experience with viral internet fame. I mean, the nice thing for me was that it happened pretty late. I I didn't start having people looking at me as a creator until I was about twenty seven years old, and that that was nice that I was an adult when it happened. Whereas I I also watched it happen to people from the ages of, you know, 14 to mid early 20s. And it's just very different when you're when you're that new to the game and new to like being an adult. I think a lot of my experience was more positive was more structured because I had I was married, I had a lot of structure in my life. And I also had my brother to lean on who, you know, we were making content together, and he was even older than I was. Not that we were older or anything, but like, Mm. in, in internet terms, we were in YouTube terms, but watching a lot of people go through this, like becoming friends with a lot of young people who made pretty dramatic mistakes both from just like not understanding the power that they have over over other people and also um, not understanding what the source of their success is. I think that a lot of this is more from the perspective of having watched and, and been friends with and cared a lot about young people who have, you know, had both the really wonderful parts of this bizarre, cool thing happen to you, but also experienced the, the really bad parts. You mentioned the importance of the source of your success when you achieve this type of fame, mm-hmm. the type of fame that can be won on the internet. April has a, has a pretty explicit reminder of that in the form of Carl and that and, and in the constant reminder that mm-hmm. in many ways, if she had not been the first to depict Carl, she would not have this type of fame or power. So she has a pretty easy reminder of that, but other people might not. What In your experience, yep. what are some of the differences between people who worked very hard on something and worked for a while in order to achieve fame or success? What's the difference between those people and those who kind of accidentally fall into that, that internet fame or success and find themselves surprised to be, uh, you know, with their face on CNN or whatever? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a, that's such a spectrum of experience. What I will say is that kind of April's path was a surprise and kind of she fell into it but also within very rapidly after it starts happening it becomes a very intentional act and i think that people who who not people who like i have a viral video of me getting hit by a dolphin on my stand-up paddleboard that's sort of the thing that happened and becomes a story that you tell at parties for the next 10 years versus somebody who is building an audience that's regular and i think that there isn't anybody who falls into that I think all of those people are intentionally working to make that be a thing. I think everybody works for it. And I think that everybody's strategic. You've got to have a big helping of luck, too. But I don't think that anybody does it accidentally. Okay, I, I want to center on a list that April writes at one point in the book that describes the different levels of fame. So it's going from popularity from the from the average Joe's popularity, the popularity that he or she might experience all the way up through divinity, which is like this global icon a face that everyone recognizes and, and has to be like essentially different from humanity. So how has fame changed in the last 20 years or so? How's fame? How's the nature of fame changed with the democratization of sources? 
audiences and of media. How has fame changed? And how do you see fame evolving in the next 10 years, 20 years? I think that fame itself has not changed. Fame is the same thing. It is people's imaginings of people they don't know and what psychologists call a parasocial relationship. We have this, it's more than just like, I've heard of you and seen you in movies. It's like, I am establishing a relationship with this person I don't know. And we all do that. It's not like a weird, wrong thing. It's just a thing that we do. And I think that we also have parasocial relationships with divine figures. You know, we establish relationships with people from, from religion. And that is also a thing. So I think fame has not changed. What has changed is the number of people who experience some level of fame and from without their community. Like it used to be that like if, if you were the local weatherman, you were famous in Missoula, Montana, and you walk down the street and everybody's like, hey, Mark, and you're like, the it's going to be awful nice tomorrow. And that's your fame. And like, but you like understand it because it's happening to you in this local community. But now fame is distributed and fractured in a way that like there are weathermen for everything and they, their community is not local. And so if you are in a grocery store in Kansas, somebody might walk up to you and be like, oh my God, thank you so much for your video on anatomy and physiology. It helped me so much in my exams, which happens to me a lot. And, and I can't know looking at a group of people, which one of them might have that experience. And there are a lot of people now, lots and lots of people who have that because this is new. This thing is new. It was always that you could have notoriety in your local community. And then there became this thing where you could be globally famous. But that only happened to a very few people. And now you can be globally famous, but uh, but with smaller communities. And that is happening to tens or hundreds of thousands of people. And it's becoming their jobs, this notoriety. And so what's really changed is we need to talk about it more because it's, it's an experience that is much more likely to happen. And so instead of like Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn having to deal with it, and that's that, you have hundreds of thousands of people who need structure and also may have a lot less structure than Cary Grant had around him with the whole studio system and agents and managers and stuff, because you can be famous, like top tier level famous to a person and be making $17,000 a year delivering for Postmates. And that's weird. So we need to be more open about how we discuss fame because it's something that that people are going to deal with in their lives, you know, and and if you don't have a structure around it, you might not treat it the way it needs to be treated. Well, Hank, this is a fascinating book, a timely book, and I think we are all going to be better for it. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us on Interrobing Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. You can pre-order an absolutely remarkable thing at interrobingbooks.com and find copies here in the store on September 25th. Next, here are some of the great events happening in the store in the coming weeks. Mystery novelist Mary Kubica will visit Interrobing Books on Wednesday, September 19th at 7pm with her new novel, When the Lights Go Out. The following night, Thursday, September 20th at 7 o'clock, author Andrew Gross will be here to discuss his new historical thriller, Button Man. 
Actress Sally Field will be at the Dallas Trademark Grand Pavilion this Saturday, September 22nd at 7pm with her new memoir, In Pieces. Tickets are available online at interrobangbooks.com slash event slash Sally Field. At 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, September 23rd, Dr. Joseph Abraham will present his book, Kings, Conquerors, Psychopaths, here at Interrobang Books. And finally, Sarah Weinman, author of The Real Lolita, will be at Interrobang Books at 7 o'clock on Tuesday, September 25th. You can find out about these and all of our other events on our website, interrobangbooks.com. And don't forget to vote for your favorite novel in The Great American Read, presented by KERA. Find more information by visiting pbs.org slash greatamericanread and catch new episodes of The Great American Read every Tuesday night on KERA. That wraps up episode 20 of Interrobing Podcast. There's always something new at Interrobing, so follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to keep up with the store. The podcast is produced by Interrobing Books in Dallas, Texas. Our music was composed by Carlos Guajardo. I'm Jack Freeman. We hope to see you in the store soon. Have a great week and read fearlessly. Fearlessly.